Welcome to another episode of Pem Currents, the Pediatric Emergency Medicine Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brad Sobolewski, and I am proud to bring you Season 2 of our Toxicology Podcast Series that I'm putting together with Suzanne Mazur of Seattle Children's. This season will be comprised of three episodes, focusing on opioids, marijuana, and vaping. So, slow your respiratory rate, constrict those pupils, and learn about opioid toxicity. Hey everybody, thanks for listening. Today's topic is opioid poisoning. So why is talking about pediatric opioid poisoning important? Mortality rate from opioid poisoning in children and adolescents has increased over 250% in the last several years. Critical care admissions are also increasing. So let's talk about some definitions. What are opioids versus opiates? Well, opiates are naturally occurring compounds that are derived from the poppy plant. Examples of opiates are morphine and codeine. The term opioids encompasses all all the opiates and also the synthetic analogs like fentanyl, meperidine, and methadone. So toxicologists usually use the term opioids when talking about this class of drugs. When we talk about poisoning cases in most of toxicology, including opioids, we see two very different age groups, toddlers and then another peak in the adolescent age group. So today I will talk about two different cases. One is a case in a toddler, and the second is a case in an adolescent. Case one is a 13-month-old baby who was put in his crib, and he was given a bottle of Suboxone as a rattle. Mom checked on him a little bit later and found that the bottle was open, some pills had spilled out, and one was wet. But he looked okay, so she took the bottle, gave him some milk, and he went back to bed. The next morning, he was found unconscious in his crib. The family called 911, and the child was pronounced dead when he got to the hospital. And this case is not a case that I saw personally, but it is a case that I read about in the New York Times several years ago and really brought to my attention and the attention of many this relatively new at the time drug called Suboxone. So what is Suboxone? Suboxone is one of the trade names for a combination drug, buprenorphine and naloxone. Suboxone is used as medication-assisted treatment for patients with opioid use disorder. And for people who have opioid use disorder, they're prescribed buprenorphine or suboxone to take daily to hopefully decrease the opioid cravings and prevent them from using other opioids. This is similar to the way that we prescribe and use methadone in the past. The difference is that Suboxone can come in a pill, a sublingual pill, or a film that melts in your mouth. And just one dose of buprenorphine can cause symptoms in a toddler who takes it accidentally. These may or may not come in child-resistant packaging. Now you may be wondering, why is there naloxone in this combination formula? Well, the answer is naloxone does not do anything to protect a toddler who takes it from having opioid poisoning. But what naloxone does do is discourage IV abuse because if you decide to take your suboxone, grind it up and inject it, the naloxone will work in the IV form and prevent getting high from the buprenorphine or synthetic opioid. But the naloxone in PO form is not protective. So if a child ingests a combination product that includes naloxone along with a synthetic opioid, there's no reason to be reassured by that combination. 
And just a reminder, what does opioid toxidrome look like? Well, opioids, as you remember, stimulate the mu receptors in the central nervous system, and that's what causes the opioid toxidrome, which is meiosis or small pupils, coma or altered mental status, and hypoventilation, slow breathing, which is kind of the hallmark of what we see with opioid poisoning. And what do you do when you have a patient in whom you suspect opioid poisoning? Well, the first thing to do is remember to support airway breathing and circulation, support the breathing with bag valve mask ventilation while you draw up your antidote, which is naloxone or Narcan. In the ED, we usually give naloxone IV push, but it can also be given IM, sub-Q, or even intranasal. The dose for toddlers is actually higher than what we use in some adults. In toddlers, we are not worried about precipitating opioid withdrawal because our patients are not habituated to opioids. So we actually give a dose of 0.1 milligrams per kilo IV in children. That often turns out to be even higher than a dose we'd recommend as a starter dose for an adult. That dose is usually 0.4 milligrams IV. So the dose we end up giving toddlers is actually much bigger. If you're needing repeated doses of naloxone for your patient with opioid poisoning, an IV drip can be calculated and started. And for that, I would recommend talking to a toxicologist, a pharmacist, and or a poison center to get recommendations for a naloxone drip. Just remember in toddlers, you can go pretty big on the naloxone dosing. We usually start with 0.1 milligrams per kilo of naloxone for a toddler with opioid poisoning who has not previously had opioids. Besides naloxone dosing, the other really important thing to remember about toddlers specifically with opioid poisoning is that the naloxone half-life often is not as long as the half-life of whatever opioid has been ingested. In overdose, the opioid half-lives cannot be trusted. What you might look up in a formulary um, as far as half-life is probably going to be wrong in overdose because normal pharmacokinetics do not apply in overdose. These properties are often disrupted, and so intoxication can be much longer than we might predict based on a half-life of a normal dose. So often these opioid effects will outlast a naloxone dose. So you want to be ready with your second or third naloxone dose and again, planning to give repeated doses of naloxone, start a drip if you need to, and having a very, very low threshold for admitting any toddler with opioid overdose, especially if they've needed naloxone for observation up to 24 hours. It's also important to remember that synthetic opioids, like many that are prescribed these days, will not necessarily show up on your toxicology screen. In general, we don't recommend that you wait to see what the toxicology screen shows before deciding to treat opioid toxidrome. The toxicology screen may be negative and also takes much longer than your clinical exam and history, so it's not as useful as just doing a great history and physical exam and then decide about naloxone. Let's talk about our second case. This is a teenager who has been abusing what he thought was oxycodone that he was buying from another kid at school. He had been using it every day, but recently 
bought his pills from a new source. He took two pills as per his usual routine, but this time he presented in coma with hypoventilation. He was brought to the emergency department and needed several doses of naloxone in order to return to normal mental status. So what happened? Well, we're seeing more and more cases of patients with illicit synthetic opioids that are mixed into pills that are actually counterfeit pills. So what's happening is that there are some clandestine labs, some of them are abroad, they're manufacturing illicit fentanyl. It can be mixed with heroin or pressed into counterfeit pills. Because there's obviously no regulation on this and because these are counterfeit pills, this medication, this counterfeit fentanyl or synthetic fentanyl can have very high and unpredictable concentrations. So a usual one pill dose may have a hundred times more active drug than the regular pharmaceutical form of the drug. And in addition to all of that, often these synthetic opioids are not routinely detected on tox screens, toxicology screens. The Drug Enforcement Agency has been cracking down on these illicit fentanyl type medications. And recently the DEA seized a shipment of these and 27% of the tablets that were seized contained a potentially lethal dose of fentanyl. So it's right to be concerned about synthetic opioids in all forms, either when teenagers are getting them from medicine cabinets at home or someone's home, or buying them from different sources that may or may not be contaminated with illicit or clandestine synthetic fentanyl. It's important to remember this and be ready to treat it if you see a teenager with opioid toxidrome. Another thing to consider, especially with teenagers who may be chronically abusing various opioids, is to think about acetaminophen poisoning. As you know, a lot of opioids are um, dispensed and formulated in combination with acetaminophen for in different pain medications. And when a child or teenager is chronically abusing one of these combination products, they may develop chronic acetaminophen toxicity. So it's important to think about this, have a low threshold for getting a set of liver function tests and an acetaminophen level and talking to a poison center if you're worried about acetaminophen poisoning in someone who's chronically abusing opioids. If you see the opioid toxidrome, remember to support airway and breathing and give naloxone to reverse the opioid toxidrome. So I'll finish here with just a few things to think about as we as practitioners deal with the opioid epidemic in all ages, but specifically in the toddler and adolescent age groups. So thinking about what opioids are we putting out into the world? I work in an emergency department and there definitely are times where I need to prescribe opioids for my patients but I try to prescribe responsibly. Specifically, if we have a patient with a fracture, how long does this patient really need an opioid? Can we get away with two or three days or do we really need to give them a two week supply? So thinking about how much we're prescribing is really, really important and thinking about how many doses your patient goes home with is important to do. Also talking to families about safe storage of their medications. So talking with patients, parents, grandparents about where these medications are stored and how can they dispose of extras when they're done with their prescription. 
There's a website called www.takebackyourmeds.org where people can look to find a location for dropping off unused medication. And finally, think about prescribing naloxone for patients or families at risk for opioid overdose. Rules differ state by state, so check with your pharmacy, but in many cases, you can actually give a prescription for home naloxone, which helps keep people safe if they have naloxone in their home environments and know how to administer it to somebody who has an opioid overdose. In summary, some things to remember about opioids. They're not always detectable on tox screens, so don't wait for your toxicology screen to come back before deciding to treat in a patient who looks like they have the opioid toxidrome, small pupils, coma, and hypoventilation. The drug will often outlast the naloxone antidote, so be ready with a second dose or naloxone drip if you see the signs of opioid toxidrome recurring. And remember to prescribe responsibly. Consider prescribing naloxone for home use for anyone who lives with someone who's at risk of abusing opioids and help your patients store and dispose of medicines as safely as possible. Thanks so much for tuning in and we'll see you all next week. Well, that's it for this episode of PEM Currents, the Pediatric Emergency Medicine Podcast. This was episode one of season two of the Toxicology Series. Tune in next time where we'll talk about marijuana. As I mentioned in the intro, you can get CME and MOC Part 2 through Cincinnati Children's. Details in the show notes and on PEMblog.com, which just so happens is a great pediatric emergency medicine-focused educational resource. Go to follow me on Twitter at PEMTweets. Check out the Facebook page. And if you have time, leave a review or a comment. Susan and I would really appreciate the feedback. Until next time, this has been Brad Soboleski. 